Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is Dr. David Fisher. He's an orthopedic surgeon at Ortho Indian, the director of the Total Joint Center at Indiana Orthopedic Hospital, board certified and fellowship trained. He performs more than 500 joint replacement procedures each year and is one of 35 orthopedic surgeons from around the world who helped design what is called the Attuned Knee. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes. But first, I want to ask Dr. Fisher, welcome to the program, and then a couple quick questions. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's great to have you with us. My first question is, this is mostly a physician audience, and when you talk about things like knee replacement, you know, for those of them who are specialists who may do it, those in primary care may occasionally have a patient who needs it. My first question, just in general, at what point does a patient get to when you think they need to have a knee replacement? Because obviously many people try a lot of things to avoid procedures, but then eventually can have it. It can be life-altering or it could also be an expensive procedure. So I'm sure they look at it from a lot of directions. Absolutely. Uh, Patients with arthritis will generally try all sorts of treatments before they'll see a surgeon. So they're going to try anti-inflammatory medicines, both over-the-counter and prescription. They may try injections into the joint. They may use braces or physical therapy. And, and when those have failed, the, the function deteriorates and the quality of life kind of windles because they give up sporting activities and other social activities. And at that point, they're considered a candidate for surgical intervention, which may include total knee replacement. What are some of the underlying conditions, obviously, I'm sure severe arthritis, but osteoarthritis and things, but what are some of the underlying things that predispose people to having this situation in the first place? Well, it can be a genetic component for anybody with arthritis. Osteoarthritis is the most common form of arthritis that we see. Certainly rheumatoid arthritis and other types can occur. Uh, Patients who are predisposed may also include patients who have had injuries, previous surgery on the knee or trauma, and that certainly can lead to a deterioration of the cartilage and function of the joint to where they need something to improve their quality of life. So with those cases, you probably have people come in in all sorts of levels of despair or concern. Do you have a percentage of how many you operate on, people you talk out of it, and, and how do you make those decisions? Sure. Most, most of the patients I see have been treated for a long time by their primary care physicians, and they're ready for surgery. So it's a high percentage of patients that I see, probably 80 to 85% that are ready and willing to have the surgical procedure. Uh, we certainly talk about the risks and benefits, the benefits being a significant improvement in function, including ability to stand, walk, go up and down steps, and many of them return to sporting activities, including golf, tennis, softball. I have people that play racquetball and handball, and they go back to all kinds of activities. So it's a, it's a wonderful technology that can improve the quality of life. You know, you talk about the avoidance and what people do to avoid, and I know you, you have some studies and some information on that. Tell me a little bit about you know, the steps that people will take to avoid having a procedure. Sure, and everybody should try the easy things, which are exercise and weight reduction, keeping your weight down, keeping your body fit, trying to preserve the joints and preserve function. So those are important things that people can do. As you start developing symptoms, I think it's important to seek treatment, probably get an X-ray, and at some point you'll want to see a surgeon to evaluate it to see if there are conservative treatments that may be be beneficial short of a 
major surgical intervention. And when you talk about those types of things, what have you found to be successful? What kind of buys time for people? Well, I think weight loss has been proven to have benefit by reducing the load on the joint. Uh, I think that exercise to keep the muscles strong around the knee can help improve the function. Uh, At that point, you may have symptoms that vary from day to day. It's not a constant pain. It it just kind of varies from time to time. And the use of analgesics such as Tylenol, ibuprofen, or other medications may may be enough to suffice for quite a period of time. I know you're going to talk about one of the latest forms of treatment, but let's talk a little bit in general, a little bit of the history. Like when did people start getting these knee replacements? What was it like? I mean, you know, what led people to some of the stories they hear now? How long has it been going on and what have the, I guess, strengths and weaknesses of the procedure in the past been? Yeah, well over 50 years we've been doing uh, knee replacement procedures The original designs had problems with early failure. They were only available in one or two sizes, and the instrumentation was not very good. That has evolved over the past uh, several decades to where today knee replacement is a very common procedure. We'll do over 700,000 of those procedures this year in the United States. Um, The technology has evolved quite a bit to where we have really wonderful technology. The the attuned knee system has been designed to address some of the problems we encountered in knee systems over the past two decades with significant improvement in, in the way it provides improvement in function, range of motion, and stability to the knee. And that's something that we, we've, had, we've had good knee implants in the past. I think we have a great system with this one. How long do they normally last? You know, a knee replacement, is it obviously depending on how long people last themselves, I'm sure. But how long do they normally last if you have someone who maybe middle-aged gets a knee replacement? Can they expect 5, 10, 20 years out of it? Oh, absolutely. The knees I put in 25 years ago, many of them are still working fine. So you can easily get... 20 years or more out of the knee replacement. The materials that we use, including the the polyethylene, which is the bearing surface, has been improved dramatically. And that was one of the things that wore out in years past. The technology has come a long way. You're listening to Primary Care today on ReachMD. We're talking about knee replacement, knee replacement surgeries, some of the things that can be done now, some of the concerns in the past, and we're really going to try to delve into it. We have a good program where we can talk about a lot of these issues, and our guest is Dr. David Fisher. He's an orthopedic surgeon, and he's a perfect person to talk about it, and you, you talk about how things have advanced and they've gotten better. Do you have people getting repeat procedures? In other words, somebody who got something done years ago, and they're, they're just not happy with it. How often does that occur? Yes, my practice is about 15% revision uh, knee replacement. So patients who've had a previous knee replacement not happy with it or one that has failed by either loosening or worn out, they require revision. And and revisions can be very effective at improving the the same thing. Quality and function and quality of life can be dramatically improved with that procedure. So those, those systems are available uh, we spent a lot of time uh, on knees that have been done in years past to try to upgrade them. You talk a little bit about the surgery and the recovery period. Obviously, if somebody's at work and maybe they have three or four weeks vacation, they get sick time, disability, whatever it is, how long does it take to get back from a knee replacement surgery? That's a great question. The surgery uh, can be done in an, generally in an hour. Patients will spend one or two nights in the hospital, and then they will return home and do physical therapy for the next four to six weeks. 
and depending on the type of work they do, they can go back to work at that time frame, usually six weeks, maybe a few weeks later if they're doing a lot of walking, stair climbing, and other activities. The knee itself will continue to improve then for the next three to six months. As it improves in what they feel, patients will feel better and better as time goes on. One of the concerns we have, I know, when we have inpatients in our hospital and as a primary care doctor, you know, we're about anticoagulation and those things. Is that a big issue? Is it, is it better now than it used to be, worrying about clots and all those sorts of things? Well, we certainly, it, it is one of the, the complications. It's about a 1% to 2% risk of having a blood clot after a total knee replacement. There are a number of blood thinning agents that can be taken, including aspirin, Coumadin, and other types of drugs that can be given to reduce the risk of, of blood clots. And those, those are quite effective. And I think also getting patients up and moving. Most of my patients are up walking within a few hours of their surgery, and they're doing their physical therapy. So getting them mobile quicker, I think, also reduces that risk. How long do you usually have them on those anticoagulants as far as after the procedure? Four to six weeks. Okay, so it's more or less during that recovery time, that's when they'll be doing it as well. Correct. Other concerns about the procedure you see as negatives or things that docs should worry about when they're talking with their patients or just counseling them about it that you worry about? Well, I think they need to be aware that there are potential risks with any surgical procedure, and those include anesthesia-related risks. It can also include surgical risks of infection, blood clots, and so forth. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, there's about a 2% overall risk of something like that happening, where, whereas there's a 98% chance patients are going to do probably well as long as they're, they're checked out medically before. So we have all our patients see a hospitalist or an internist to be evaluated make sure we've, we've uh, fine-tuned their medical conditions as, as best as possible and reduce the risk of a major event, such as a cardiovascular event. And once that's been done and they've gone through the preoperative screening, the chance of a major problem is really pretty, pretty rare. Uh, patients just have to understand it's a long process to heal when you go through these procedures, and, and they have to be educated. So we spend a lot of time educating our patients regarding what they're going to go through during the procedure. You obviously seem, uh, just by doing this program, like somebody who communicates well and, and, and talks with your patients just by the way we're chatting. How important is that role? How, much, how important is it for the surgeon to take the time to go over what the expectations are, you know, the pros, the cons, those sorts of things? Yeah, I think that's extremely important. I have a team of people, a couple, several nurse practitioners. I have a research assistant and other people that help provide educational material to my patients. We use the internet to interact with them before, during, and after their hospitalization so we can keep track of the patients, stay in constant contact, and make sure we, we meet their expectations and give them a realistic expectation of how their procedure is likely to unfold. Getting back to sports and other activities, um, what do you see your patients doing? I mean, uh, are they out back running, playing tennis, those sorts of things? My patients, uh, amazing uh, how active patients are today in this world, especially the elderly patients, which used to be not so active. But today I have patients in their 70s that uh, they play softball, they, they play golf, they play tennis, they play handball, they go sneeze, snow skiing and water skiing, they hike, they hunt, they, they are very active. And the, the beauty is that even with a knee replacement, they can go back and do those activities 
with a higher level of uh, competency than they did when their knee was arthritic. And while we're talking about knee replacements, obviously there's many joints where we have replacements. Is, is knee ahead of the game? I mean, you hear a lot about knee replacements, but compared to hip or elbow, these sorts of things, where where, where it is as far as the technology? Yes, hip, hip replacement has been the easiest for the public to accept, has very high success rates. Patients really seem to do very well with hip replacement. Total knee is now... Uh, catching up with that in terms of what patients expect and the type of functional outcomes they can get. The other joints, shoulder replacements, fairly good. Uh, elbows a, a way be, ways behind, as is ankle replacement. But these joints, uh, as we learn more and, and do more of the procedures, certainly they're, they're coming along as options for patients with disabilities that are affected by arthritis. Um, and when you talk about, again, arthritis in general, when people talk to you, I'm just curious, after they've been suffering with the arthritis pain and the joint issues, what is their feeling, you know, six, ten months out? Are they pretty thankful? Do they still remember what the pain was like? You know, most uh, when you look at hip patients, uh, probably 70% of them will forget they ever had surgery on that joint. The knee is not quite as high, but it's getting closer, I think, with the new technology and the results we're getting with the attuned knee. So I think we're, I think we're making progress. Uh, patients seem to be able to adopt very well and can return to the level of function they had before. For athletes, I'm sure you probably see your share of football, soccer players, those people years down the road when they're having issues. They're probably a tough crowd because they remember – what they could do athletically. Uh, what's their response uh, when you talk to them about having the new replacements? Well, they're, they're a little hesitant, rightfully so, but when by the time they come in to consider surgery, their knee is so shot that they, they generally have trouble uh, doing anything actively. And, and when you fix that knee, uh, it's a dramatic improvement uh, in terms of what they can do. They may not get back to the level of performance if they were a high-level athlete, particularly if you're required running, jumping activities, but they can get back and do enjoy life again. We're talking with Dr. David Fisher. We only have about a minute left, and I wanted to ask you, I certainly asked a lot of questions. Uh, is there something you wanted to bring up that you thought was important that we didn't discuss or you thought was uh, an important point uh, for our audience to hear? Yeah, I think that we've covered the fact that the osteoarthritis is very common. It's certainly becoming more accepted to have total knee replacement. Uh, we certainly are seeing increasing numbers of patients that need the surgery. And I think for the important thing is for patients to find a, a surgeon that's, that's near them to learn more about these technologies. Well, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Thank you, Brian. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any or part of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash today. You can download the podcast and you can learn more about the series. Thank you very much for listening.